The planet is heating up. The oceans are becoming filled with plastic. Change starts now. Change starts now. We're on a countdown to zero waste. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. Here's your host, Laura Nash. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Zero Waste Countdown podcast and radio show. Today, we're speaking with Christian Shaw. He's the founder and executive director of PlasticTides.org. Christian, welcome to the show. Hello, Laura. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. So this looks like a wonderful program, PlasticTides.org. So let's start with the Global Youth Mentor Program that you're running. Can you tell us about that? Absolutely. Uh, We're really excited about the Global Youth Mentorship Program. We've spent the last year laying a really solid foundation uh, for this program and have just launched um, very recently. And the goal of this program is to combine motivated youth in middle or high school with adults that can essentially support them and mentor them through the completion of projects in their school or community that are going to have a real lasting impact. And so, you know, examples of these projects might be uh, planting an orchard in underutilized space around your school so that students have access to, you know, fresh, plastic-free fruits, you know, low maintenance, um, you know, certain times of the year. Uh, Or, you know, in a number of instances, schools are still using plastic utensils. And so uh, one of our most important projects that students have been working on is helping schools transition to a sustainable alternative uh, from the plastic utensils. And so, you know, basically what, what we've learned through working with youth since 2014 is that young people are the future and they have a ton of potential but oftentimes it can be really challenging for someone who's in middle or high school to really take on an audacious project and see it through to completion. And so by, you know, providing that support system, you know, the agency, uh, the resources, you know, the things that come with the backing of both Plastic Tides, the organization, and their individual mentors, you know, we see a really phenomenal success rate and you know, as well as future outcomes for those students. So if there is a student out there that wants to take part in a program or like green up their school a little bit, then they can contact your group through the website. Is that how it works? Absolutely. Yep. Go to our website, plastictides.org. And it's really simple from there. We are aiming for 100 youth leaders for the 2020-2021 school year. And we're about a fifth of the way there right now. So we are really excited for students to reach out to us and and get involved at this point. Oh, cool. So there's lots of space open for for this upcoming school year. Oh, great. That's cool. And is this just in the United States? No, this is the Global Youth Mentor Program. And so, you know, we're working with students and mentors across the globe. And so we do our best to pair people up based on time zones uh, to make things as convenient as possible for the communications. But one of the beauties of our project is that it does expose students and mentors to different cultures, different ideas, uh, and different approaches to addressing the issue of plastic pollution. And it's, you know, really not, you know, in terms of the mentorship, 
uh, one thing that we really want to stress for people who would be potentially interested in becoming involved as a mentor is that you do not need to be an expert. You do not need to have experience in plastic pollution or conservation, really any of that. You know, you just need to be someone who wants to commit five to 10 hours of your time every week for a year to working with these students and helping them, you know, achieve their potential. And we've got everything laid out in terms of the resources, you know, and the onboarding process for the mentors that it's really open to anybody. Oh, wow. That's very cool. So if someone's listening and they want to be a youth mentor, then they can they can sign up on your website as well. That's right. So how do you get youth interested in projects like these? That's a great question, Laura. And it's really at the core of our ethos at Plastic Tides and and really where we began. So uh, I first became aware of the plastic pollution issue um, in its entirety in college, I would say around 2010, 2011. Uh, And, you know, by 2012, was already formulating ideas of how to how to get involved, um, and that's when the first sort of proposals for what would become Plastic Tide started emerging. And from the very beginning, we recognized, especially at that time, this issue plastic pollution was something that, for one, you know, people just weren't thinking about things like the Great Pacific Garbage Patch were not on people's radar, you know, and it, it just it wasn't a very approachable topic. And so that's why we set out in the way that we did to combine adventure and science through our stand-up paddleboard research expeditions. And so our first trip took us to Bermuda, where we spent 10 days circumnavigating the island, researching ocean plastics with a trawl that we had designed specifically for use behind our paddleboards and filming for an educational web series. And at the conclusion of that trip, we we're also um, able to present to a dozen different schools on Bermuda. And that really solidified, you know, our mission and, and what we do here at Plastic Tides. It's all about looking at it in a different way and showing kids that becoming involved in conservation, you know, or science doesn't have to be boring. It doesn't have to be just, you know, lab coats and vials. You can do anything you want, really, you know, if, if you have you know, a bit of creativity and audacity. Mm-hmm. What was Bermuda like? Do you see a lot of plastic pollution there? Bermuda is a really special place. We've done a lot of work in Bermuda over the years, and you do actually see a lot of plastic pollution in Bermuda. The reason that we chose Bermuda for our first project is because it is situated near the center of the North Atlantic gyre, and as such, it receives a lot of inbound, you know, non-domestic plastic on its beaches. And so it's a really great place to see the impacts of plastic pollution in real time. You know, of course, there are small amounts of pollution that come from the island. And those are also things that we've worked with and worked with, you know, a number of local organizations that address that. But um, it's, it is a really special place in that most of the plastic pollution that you do see as, you know, in stark contrast, for instance, to somewhere like California, near Santa Cruz, where I live, uh, where, you know, you go to the beach after 4th of July and people leave all their trash and, you know, there's no plastic really washing up on the beaches. In Bermuda, you you know, we found uh, water bottles from China. We, you know, we found, we actually found um, like a water bottle that must have been off like a Chinese shipping, um, fishing vessel or something. Um, But we also found a 
pre-water bottle, which is really cool. We still have that. And so it's actually, it's, uh, it's basically, uh, if you were buying thousands of plastic bottles, you wouldn't get them as full size plastic bottles. You'd get them as this little thing that has the same size top as a regular plastic bottle, but then it's, uh, maybe only two and a half inches by the same circumference as the top or a little less. And, but it's a lot denser. And so that's basically like a a baby water bottle essentially. And so then in the bottling plant, they blow hot air into that, which expands it into the shape of whatever bottle it's going to be. And then it gets filled. What would be the point of that? Well, for instance, (laughs) if you have a bottling plant, but you don't make the bottles. So you're buying the bottles, say you have a bottling plant on Bermuda uh, and you are buying your bottles from China. Oh. They would come. They would come in this form, and then you know you would put them into your process where they would become expanded, right? Because mm-hmm. it wouldn't make sense okay. to ship. We have a lot of overpackaged products out there, you know, yeah. like all sorts of shampoos and conditioners and detergents and you name it. Hmm. Pretty much any any chemical product sold commercially, right, is sold in a big plastic container with a ton of water. So that's why there's some really cool, innovative companies out there doing things with concentrates and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. I always I use a lot of soap nets for washing my clothes, but I also use Tide cold water because then I can wash with cold water. Um, I know it's chemicals, but it's dry, so I'm not paying for the liquid or for the liquid being shipped. And then it comes in like recyclable cardboard. So I like to use those instead of um, instead of plastic. Uh, it's interesting you say about the finding the Chinese bottle. And that was in Bermuda that you found the Chinese bottle? Yeah, that was in Bermuda. So those were actually two different bottles. So the the baby water bottle, I'm not sure where that one came from. And then we also yeah. found a full-size bottle that had Chinese labeling on it. Yeah, so we found that floating around. Yeah, I went to the University of Victoria, and I remember doing a, a hike on the, the northern part of Vancouver Island, and it was just covered in uh, Japanese water bottles. And there's a five-day hike you can do up there. And I would say for four days straight, we just saw like bottle after bottle, like hundreds of them, and they're all in Japanese writing. So I don't know if like a container spilled or if they, you know, because there's a, a boat that's that washed from Japan over to like Northern British Columbia and the boat's on display in Prince Rupert. You can see it if you go to that town. Um, so the currents definitely go like from Japan over to kind of Northern BC. Um, but yeah, I remember seeing so much and that was like in, that was year, like 12 years ago. And I think that's part of why I have realized that we have such a problem with plastic just after seeing that. When you started this, were you, were you a youth? You said you started it back in 2012, was it? Yes. So I, we started Plastic Tides right out of college. So I attended Cornell University in upstate New York and founded Plastic Tides with two classmates and then a colleague from the Philippines. So the four of us set out on that first expedition and that was in 2014. So the, the, the inception for Plastic Tides, um, goes all the way back to a National Geographic Young Explorers Grant workshop that we attended at Cornell in the fall of 2012 and Mm -hmm. had opportunity to pitch an idea to the group. uh, And I actually pitched this idea to kiteboard across the Great Pacific Garbage Patch and get helicopter footage of, you know, this, you know, floating trash dump. 
Um, of course, we know now that that's not realistic because it's more like a plastic smog and you would never be able to see it from the air in that way. But essentially, that project was really well received at that event and was eventually distilled down into our first expedition around Bermuda. Yeah, sometimes the visuals just do so much, like that video with the straw in the turtle's nose. Like there were so many views of that. And I think it really kind of opened people's eyes to, you know, the problem. Yeah. And that was the original idea that we were really excited about, you know, do, putting together this trip to go out to the middle of the Pacific and create this stunning visual that would, you know, wake everyone up to this, this reality of this problem. Yeah, I've heard that it's more like microplastic that's there instead of like big chunks, right? Yeah, it's, it, and it's also distributed through the water column. So it's stratified. Ooh. So it, oh. it's because plastics have, you know, varying degrees of buoyancy and they also have sort of a timeline of buoyancy. So the plastic numbers in terms of, you know, what shows up in the ocean and what we know has been produced and put into the ocean throughout history doesn't correlate. And so the life cycle of plastics in the ocean, uh, actually oftentimes them being colonized by, you know, different algae and things and, and then, you know, becoming neutrally buoyant and eventually sinking to the sea floor. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. That's pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, and so that process is always happening. And so, yeah. you know, when, and so you could actually be sailing through the Pacific gyre and not see, you know, not have any idea that you were, you know, in super highly concentrated area of plastic pollution, unless you happen to look over the side and, you know, see a bucket or a milk crate floating past. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I live on the north shore of Lake Ontario. And so not too far from Cornell, I guess. Um, but they ha they have like hundreds of thousands of microplastic uh, per square kilometer. And it's the same thing. Like if you're out there, you don't you don't really see it unless you're right near shore. Um, if you're just walking along, sometimes you'll see bottles and some of our beaches have some pretty gross pieces of plastic. We get lots of balloons. The balloons are a tough one. It's, uh, yeah. yeah, it's, it's one that it's, I think people don't focus on too often and it hasn't really sunk in with a lot of the population, but that's really interesting that you're on the, the Northern shore of Lake Ontario though. So I'm actually originally from Ithaca, New York. Oh, um, cool. Cornell okay. is and, and have spent a lot of time on Lake Ontario on the, Eastern shore, uh, kite surfing and paddle surfing and, and stuff. And I've also spent some time on Lake Erie. Um, but we're really familiar with the research that was done on the Great Lakes back in 2013 by five gyres on the Great Lakes Plastic Pollution Lab. And we actually ended up working with Sam Mason, uh, Dr. Sam Mason at SUNY Fredonia uh, in 2014 and 15 when we were doing our microbead research uh, oh, on yes. the Erie Canal. Oh, wow. Oh, that's very cool. You know, we, we banned them. Did you know that, that Canada banned microbeads? I did. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and it's amazing. You know, once the ban happened in the U.S., it was remarkable to see how many countries were able to follow suit. So, yeah, the microbead, the microbead issue is a huge one for us, you know, towards the beginning of uh, our time at Plastic Tides. We went to Bermuda and then, you know, we came back and, you know, we're like, well, what do we do next? And that's when you know, the, the research that five gyres had done and, and that issue came onto our radar. And so, um, at that point, no one had proved the existence of microbeads in inland waterways. So, you know, lakes, rivers, canals. And so we set out from Ithaca, New York on an expedition heading towards Albany with the mission of, uh, both 
carrying our message to ban microbeads to the state capital while also researching and hoping to prove the existence of microbeads in our you know, own backyard, essentially. What did you find on that trip? Like, were you testing for microbeads the whole way? Well, so we were once again uh, taking samples with this trawl that we designed to pull behind our paddleboards. We took a number of samples on that trip, which we then brought to the Great Lakes Plastic Pollution Lab. And we spent a very solid week uh, in the lab processing the samples uh, and doing the microscopy under the guidance of uh, Dr. Mason. And we, we found microbeads. We, we conclusively proved the existence of microbeads in Cayuga Lake, uh, Oneida Lake, uh, Mohawk River, basically a bunch of different parts of our route along the Erie Canal. And wow. so that was integral in the, you know, the coalition that then throughout, the, throughout 2015 solidified and was able to push through uh, a number of local bands uh, throughout New York State and then statewide bands throughout the country. And then, you know, finally, at the end of the year, the uh, Microbead Free Waters Act. They're not banned federally in the United States, are they? Microbeads? Yes, they are, yeah. As of the Microbead Free Waters Act of December 2015. Uh, however, there was a timeline to that, so that there is a phase out, mm, but they're now... Phased out, yeah. yeah they, they should now be phased out. Oh, I had no idea. I thought I thought we were... Look at me being smug Canadian, thinking <laughs> that we didn't... You know, the whole, the whole PLA issue was a whole nother story, and I know you've gotten into that with some of your other guests, uh, you know, discussing that wonderful chemical and how it's been used by industry. BPA or? No, PLA, uh, polylactic acid. I remember you, sp- you spoke with the guy working on the utensils, actually. Yeah. 2050. Yeah, you guys were talking about that. But yeah, that's that's kind of a whole rabbit hole of its own, but um, was a really, really complicating component of that whole you know, initiative and, and campaign because it's really confusing for the consumer. Yeah, the whole, yeah, it really is tough. Like I'm trying to like do canning, like for my veggies that I grow. And like, then I found out that there was BPA on the inside of the lids and uh, like a lot of the packaging and stuff, like we just don't know where our food comes from. Like if it's been boiled in BPA buckets or something like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's tough because yeah, we don't know kind of what chemicals uh, are out there. And then yeah, like it's in our water too, which you're finding, which is pretty cool. I'd like to see the, do you have a video or anything of the uh, the device that you put behind to pull on your, it was a paddleboard that you can pull it behind. Is that right? Yeah. So, so we actually have a number of videos out there on our, uh, you know, Vimeo YouTube channels. And we also have a full length documentary called The Canal, oh, which cool. follows that journey uh, on the Erie Canal in the fall, November of 2014. And being uh, from, you know, that area, you might recall the polar vortex that came through. That was right around the same time that uh, Buffalo had that really crazy snow with the with those clouds, like the impending doom clouds. <laughs> that, oh, and, uh, no. I don't know if you remember that when that all happened back in 2014. It was a little while back now, but uh, there was a polar vortex that came through. And so that expedition was actually cut short because we, well, we, we experienced hypothermia uh, at one point, which we survived and managed to, to get through, uh, pretty harrowing, but, um, but then yeah. 
your whole Pardon? group got it like at the same time? Because usually if you get hypothermia, you need the rest of your group to save you. <laughs> well, it was just two of us. So we were kind of saving oh. each other. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's rough. Yeah, I've, I had it on the Grand Canyon and it was terrifying because your brain just starts to shut down. Like you can't, you can't make a decision. You can't like think. You can't really talk. And then people just have to notice that, you know, there's something very wrong. Yeah, fortunately, we were able to get off the water in time okay. and it was you know one of those things where yeah we, we were fortunate we got off the water but it was uh yeah it was still an experience to say the least that trip uh you know we then we then carried on for a few more days after that and we ended up hitting impassable ice further along the trip uh, when the temperatures really dropped did you go in the winter yeah so that was in november of 2014 when we left it was beautiful sunny fall you know, Indian summer, paddling up Cuga Lake, <laughs> and then, and then things uh, changed very drastically. But, but that's that's really cool that you've been on the Grand. That is a a serious bucket list one for me. So, oh yeah, you got to get on there for sure. It's absolutely amazing in there. It's it's life changing. I think we talked about that a little bit uh, with the Walton Family Foundation because the Walton Family I think has very close ties with the Grand Canyon. I think they do trips on there a lot. Um, so they're kind of committed to like keeping, uh, like keeping it sustainable, you know, that and the Mississippi river as well, which was kind of neat. Um, but yeah. And if you're listening to, if you ever have a chance to go on the grand Canyon, it's, it's pretty amazing. It's very cold too. <laughs> That's why I ended up getting hypothermia. There's a place called the ice box and it was March and there was snow on the rim. And yeah, I just, I just had to get out and get warm and stuff. <laughs> wow. So you kayaked it as well. That, that's right. Yeah, I kayaked the whole thing. Yeah. My, and a lot of my kayaking friends, they like in Oregon and stuff, they went on to do kiteboarding, which is what you're you're into, right? Yes, I'm I'm into kiteboarding, but I'm also I've also got the whitewater bug. I've uh Oh, cool. Yeah, so we've actually done a fair bit in the whitewater space with plastic tides over the years. Oh, I would love so, to see that. Yeah. Cuz when I yeah. when I was kayaking like a long time ago, like in the early 2000s, we didn't really see that much plastic pollution, to be honest. And I've kayaked like in Uganda, on the Nile, like down in Patagonia, wow. Northwest Territories, like kind of all over the world. And now when I travel, I more see eddies full of plastic. So I think it's it's this thing that's really like plastic pollution, I think, is just it's exponential in the last like decade, you know? You know, that's a, that's a really interesting observation. It'd be, it'd be cool to do a poll, like work with like rapid media or someone to do a poll of, of kayakers. Cause that's an interesting perspective that I think only that sort of really niche demographic of people would, would have from, you know, the seventies, eighties through to now. Yeah. Cause they're in places where like nobody else goes, right? Like you need to have a really high skill set to get into like certain areas of rivers so yeah you'd probably see some pollution that like nobody else would really see um but yeah definitely like early 2000s i did not see very much plastic pollution like at all and i was still drinking out of plastic bottles back then because i didn't realize how bad they were it's cool that you're doing these things on water and that you're interested in it because you're you're trying to preserve it and like make sure that it stays clean you know and and that was a big part of my life is rivers. Like, and I, I love to see people out and enjoying nature. Uh, but when you get more people out, you get more garbage and stuff like that. But you also, I would think, would build appreciation in these people for going out to these spaces because it's beautiful. It feels good to be out there, um, especially when you're doing an activity that's challenging and like adrenaline. Um, I think it makes you appreciate 
like the areas even more. Absolutely, um, absolutely. And uh, you know, one of our one of our partners, uh, Badfish Sup, actually does a lot of work. You know, just promoting that in the space. I don't know if, if you've tried yeah. the uh, the paddleboarding on the river yet, but I actually paddle for Badfish, and and they support our work at Plastic Tides, as well as a oh, lot great. of river conservation. You've taken a sup down a rapid. Yes. Yeah. Many rapids. Yes. Uh, wow. I've actually, a good friend of mine has supped the grand. He was the first person to sup the grand. Oh uh, my God. And they did it in five days. Really? Back in December of 2015. Yeah. Really gnarly. Oh my gosh. Wow. That's insane. Yeah. They're really, 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 really big rapids. Like they're very big. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've wow. you know, class four is kind of as far as, as uh, I'll go on a sup. Uh, at this point, but wow. it's really fun. I mean, I love it. Uh, I've I've done a bit of kayaking, but I really took to the paddleboard on the river because it's just a different. I think it's a lot easier. It really lowers the barrier to entry for people to get into whitewater. Yeah, that's a good point because it is really hard to get into whitewater kayaking if it if it's challenging. Like some people pick it up right away. It's some people it's very scary. Like to be kind of pinned underwater in a boat that's flipped upside down is really like it can be scary at, at first, but you can definitely get used to it and stuff. But yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful thing to be out on the water. But then, you know, we're just starting to see all this floating pollution. And then there's all the pollution that you mentioned in the beginning that you can't even see because it's just like stratified throughout the water. And it, I think that that's very alarming. Um, so this is great that I, that you're getting youth involved like this, just because I, uh, I know some youth are really into it. And then I think some just like don't care at all because they're not maybe exposed to it. So I think getting youth out on the water and then this might help. Yeah, a I mean, lot. I, that's, that's exactly the through line. You know, I think that's most important. Of course, you know, sharing stories and all these things are great, but you know, just when you can connect people to the environment and to the issues, you know, in, a real way, it's more powerful than, than anything else. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um, what else do you do in your own life to be sustainable? Do you have like zero waste practices or anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, um, my, my partner, my girlfriend, uh, Celine has a, an Instagram account called the zero waste voyage. And I, I really like to use that, uh, sort of frame of reference uh, in terms of the way I approach zero waste. Uh, it's it's a voyage, you know. I think anyone who claims to be completely zero waste is is uh, is either someone I need to meet or or someone who's not being completely honest with themselves. <laughs> and uh, um, you know, really we tough. we do everything we can. We also run a, a zero waste regenerative business, uh, Anato, which is a body care company. Oh, cool! And uh, yeah, we make high quality skincare products, uh, multifunctional products. Uh, from tree crops and perennial plants and you know the whole ethos is around uh, supporting and educating people about regenerative agriculture the power of trees and also you know zero waste body care lifestyle and and really just the intersection between the health of the planet and you know individual health yeah i mean i just do do everything that i can really i bring my water bottle around with me i have my utensil kits you know try and shop in the bulk section as much as possible and really just try and do you know, what I can in every space possible, but while also recognizing that nobody's perfect and, and that it's also important to be honest with yourself. And, you know, when you're not able to make the choice that you do want to make, um, to also just recognize that and sit with that. So, you know, I, I like to use this, um, this sort of, um, 
approach of, of voting with your dollars. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, for individuals in terms of your everyday impact, uh, you know, what you spend your money on is really, is actually the biggest say you have in almost anything uh, in terms of, you know, how you can affect outcomes in the world. You know, like the democratic process is amazing and, you know, we should all participate in it, but you only get to do that every so often. Whereas every single day, you know, when you spend your money, you're making a decision, you're making casting a vote basically for the future that you want to live in um, by the things that you support. And so I think if you just keep that sort of present every day and try and let that guide your decisions and also be honest with yourself and, you know, accept when, when certain constraints prevent you from doing that. I think that that's a a good way to go about it. Yeah, like COVID. So COVID, like our bulk stores won't let us bring our own containers during COVID. So, you know, we've had to go back to some some packaging. And usually I'm like really low, low, like zero packaging kind of thing. And I've had to go back to some of it. So I just try and pick things that can go in the recycling. And we know there's problems with recycling. Our area is actually really good for recycling. Like everything's kind of like locally processed, which is awesome. We don't like ship it overseas or anything. Yeah, we're super lucky. And it's been going since 1990. So I think it's like the oldest one in our country or something. Um, But it's pretty great. But I just wanted to say how cool it is that you and your girlfriend are, are into this at the same time, because I, I know a lot of people have told me that they kind of have like they have to kind of tiptoe around their partner a little bit because, you know, they're on this zero waste thing, but like they don't want to be pushy with their partner and their partner is not into it at all or whatever. So uh, it's super neat, I think, that you guys are both doing it and like both into it. That's awesome. Well, thank you. And, and you know, we really enjoy it. And honestly, it's, you know, for us, it's it's kind of part of our relationship in that I don't think either of us could be with someone who wasn't fully on board in, in the way that we both are um, because it's just the way, you know, it's the way that we live and, it's what we're committed to. And I, I also um, can't fail to mention that uh, Celine is also one of the co-founders of Plastic Tides and was there with us on that first expedition around Bermuda 2014. What was Celine's Instagram again? Anato Life. A-N-A-T-O. Is Plastic Tides on Instagram as well? Yes, we are. We are on Instagram and all the other platforms at Plastic Tides. I'd also, I'd also mention that we, do, we also have... Uh, Plastic Tides Junior, which is where young people can go to more specifically see stuff that's happening with the youth and the gym program. Very cool. Awesome. Um, well, thank you for telling us all about this program. It, I think it sounds amazing. And uh, you can check them out at PlasticTides.org. Thank you, Christian. Thank you, Laura. That was Christian Shaw. He's the founder and executive director of PlasticTides.org. Change starts now. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast.